Hey everybody, welcome back to the show. This is episode 50 of the live show over on YouTube, The Journey of Becoming a Hunting Beast. My friend, Gary Gruno got on the show. You've seen Gary on some of the Hunting Beast shows. Uh, Gary picked up Beast Tactics about five years ago, came to a Hunting Beast workshop, and has really been a killer ever since, honestly. Killed four bucks this year. Um, you guys are really going to enjoy this. Gary talks about all kinds of good stuff on how he has started to implement hunting beast tactics over the last several years to become uh, the best hunter he's ever been. Before we get into the episode, uh, I got to tell you about something that Exodus still has going on for a little bit longer here, um, and that is their new Exodus Rival trail camera. Um, it's going to start shipping uh, around February 6th. The MSRP on that thing is going to be $179, and you can save $30 at checkout with the code LAUNCH. And the code is live only while supplies last or until February 14th at midnight. The Rival is a budget-friendly cellular trail camera that is reliable, hardworking, easy to use, but still feature-rich. Over the last year, the Exodus teams were working hard behind the scene, building their next generation of cameras, taking consumer feedback, and delivering, in their opinion, the best budget cell camera on the market. Coming in at a price of $179. The camera is also backed by the Exodus 5-year, no BS warranty. It's built with the same durability you're used to when it comes to Exodus, but with lightning-fast cellular capabilities, easy to use and set up, and great photos. So, use the code LAUNCH to save $30 off each camera while supplies last, or until February 14th gets here at midnight. Help support the podcast and Exodus by using the code LAUNCH at their website, exodusoutdoorgear.com. Hey everybody! Welcome back. What's to going the show. on, everybody? Hey, <laughs> you guys can see we have a uh, another another guest on the, uh, this week, Gary. Gary, you're now you we uh, you've seen Gary on the Hunting Beast a few times. If you guys are uh, diehard Hunting Beast fans, um, you've been on a handful of videos now, haven't you, Gary? Yeah, yeah. Um, a few, couple from Indiana, one from Iowa. Yep. Yep. You had one in, in Iowa this year, and then you had one in uh, the deer you killed in Indiana. Yeah. You, uh, you got uh, decent footage of that, too, and put it up as well. So, uh, yeah. Anyway, before we get into Gary, Dan, what have you been doing today? <laughs> uh, that look like you're editing a, vi editing a video to me. Yeah, I did get a video up, yeah. I, yeah. Uh, I didn't go hunting. It was... Uh bitter cold and i just didn't go i you got a foot of snow out here and i yeah. wanted to and i just uh i didn't have no wind in my sails and i had a short time after work i just figured yeah. i'd get a video up instead there you go yep I it almost feels like it should be over like the deer need a break <laughs> yeah. it's been a long a long it has. it's been a long long season <laughs> i've been pounding just about every day i've got over 100 days in hunting God. So I probably got you guys like tripled on hunts and you guys got me tripled on deer. <laughs> well, <laughs> the both of you. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that happens some years though. Next year it may be your year and we may be sitting here uh, having a long season next year. Yeah. Sometimes you have great seasons. Sometimes you have bad ones. Yeah. And I, I don't necessarily look at it as bad. It's just, uh, you, you, you know, um, when I was younger, I looked at it by, uh, 
accomplishment, like what you put on the wall. And now I just look at it as uh, I got through the season without a broken leg, without <laughs> poking an eye out. <laughs> I, had a I mean, you put yourself through hell and uh, I kind of enjoy that. I kind of, you, you know, even the older you get, and you probably see this with other guys that when they start getting up in age, uh, the more your stories aren't about the kill. It's about the, the, the crap you, you went through and you put your fence through to get the thing, you know? Yeah. Yeah. The adventure. That's right. Great. Adventure. And you know, it's, it is a catch 22. Like we all love hunting. Like that's what we live for. And it's like you, you, uh, we talk, we talk about you having a bad season, but you, you literally got to hunt all year, you know, even though you right. didn't end up getting one. Um, like, my most memorable season. I pounded the whole freaking year. Yeah, it was the year of 1990. I remember that, that year like, like you wouldn't believe. On the very last day of the whole season, the last minute, the buck came in and I shot it. And it was like it was like uh, uh, the coldest day I ever hunted in my life. It was like I forget what it was like. 30 or 40 below or something. And the wind chills were over 60 below. And it was like, you weren't even supposed to go outside. You weren't supposed to go to work or nothing. And I'm out there hunting. It, that was a great hunt, an epic ending, you know? Yeah. But you got to hunt the whole season and you got to pound through and, and you ended up getting a deer too. I mean, it was, it was cool. Yeah. yeah. The ideal scenario. And like, honestly though, like you could have been in the same boat me and Gary are in. Cause you know, if, if those couple deer that you end up, uh, not recovering, you know, if one of them would have been, I had lots of opportunities. Yeah, I did. And, and, uh, I just didn't, uh, uh seal the deal. Yeah. Happens. Mm -hmm. Um, something else I was going to talk to you about, Dan, someone commented, uh, on one of the, I was a short, like a clip or whatever I clipped onto the channel. It was one when we were talking about scent control and they were saying they're surprised that you turned out the way you did on scent control because, you know, you always talk about Miles Keller being like one of your not mentors mm -hmm. or someone you looked up to growing up. And I guess he was like really into scent control as a hunter. You and, then say I'm that. Like, and then I was like, huh. And I got to, I don't I think, to, I don't think most of those guys really were. Oh, really? And I, I don't want to speak for Miles Keller. Yeah. But I knew a lot of guys at those shows, and they used to preach to me um, back in those days that I shouldn't talk bad about scent control because I'm going to lose all those sponsors, and I'm going to need that when I have a show and when I'm trying to fund that show. you got to have a sponsor in every group, and if you dis scent control, you won't be able to have a scent control clothing sponsor. You won't have the spray sponsor. You won't have this. You won't be able to get money in from those doors. I mean, it's become too much about product endorsements, really. Um, and, and I think people don't realize that they should hear the conversations that go on behind closed doors before shows open. Yeah. I have been involved in those conversations. Do you think it was worse back then? Like in the late eighties and nineties with like all that stuff being brought to market, like just all the crap that kind of was invented back then. I think it's gotten better. I think a lot of people are getting to yeah. be where they're, um, financially secure, especially with like YouTube. I mean, uh, when YouTube's paying you, you don't really need a sponsor. You don't need your show paid for. Um, so because of that, you don't really have to be dishonest or, or really push stuff on people. So I think, honestly, I see more, um, more honesty today than I did back in, uh, um, like eighties, nineties. 
Um, I think people felt that they had to do that stuff for money back then. And times were leaner, you know, where now people have the money and stuff and they're more about, they're doing a show for fun. You know, when you're doing it for fun, the last thing you want to do is, is push crap on your buddies and stuff, you know. But there's still, the majority of people out there are still pouring out products and stuff. But uh, yeah. um, if I promote a product, it's because I want to. It's because I like the people behind it. It's not because they're paying me some ungodly amount of money. And as you know, Josh, I turned on a very large contract last year for a lot of money. Yeah. For for product endorsement, just because I didn't believe in the company. Yeah, yeah, and we, um, I mean, we we chewed that over a lot, you know. Just yeah, I, I, about it. money would have been nice because it was a big paycheck, and I just said, no, I don't believe in it. I'm not doing it. Yeah, and it's happened multiple times, really, even since I've been involved. So I uh, get I get endorsement offers now about uh, three times a week, but most of them are the goofiest crap you ever seen, yeah, like uh, like thermal scopes and all kinds of weird yeah. stuff. I got, the other day, the other day I, I got an offer for somebody wanted me to wear these rings he sells, like these gold rings that mm. have like a buck impression in the front of them or something. He wanted me to, and now I'm going to probably get hell because I'm talking about it, but <laughs> he yeah. wanted me to wear these rings and then talk about the ring in the show. And it's like, what does that have to do with anything we're doing? You know? Yeah. I get so I get, a, I get about once a week, I'll get, uh, emails from like you can tell it's like a chinese company oh yeah they'll, you get they'll have, yeah they'll have like a um you know thermal scopes or they'll have you know i've gotten like just knockoff binocular stuff and just a bunch of weird yeah. weird you know just cheap yeah. made stuff for the most part if you get if you get the money and you're doing okay you're better off just buying the stuff yeah <laughs> yeah you don't owe nobody nothing right <laughs> Well, we've even like talked about like it has changed a lot like since you were started even like how companies um like that that like 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 companies like gumleaf or um just name the some of the stuff you've worked with they're doing like the uh the coupon codes now or the yeah instead of instead of us having to actually like push it on people you you know you just use that code and they can see that hey you're investing in us and right and, and then they're, they're getting a cut back from it so that seems like a better way of going about it than having to do a bunch of i shot this buck because of my you know scent yeah. shield whatever spray and all that kind of stuff you know right um yeah for a while there man it's like you're watching a nascar race you know it's like, golly yeah <laughs> uh, yeah anyway um yeah, so we wanted to get Gary on and just talk about a season a little bit. And we wanted to kind of like, I, I wanted to go back since we're getting ready to go do the workshops next week and then the, in a couple of weeks again. Um, Gary has kind of been like a, uh, you want to say, a real good example of someone that like found Beast Tactics and has learned to um, use those to like extremely improve his deer hunting. I think Gary would, would uh, probably echo that. Absolutely. Yep. Um, but yeah, Gary killed four bucks this year in three different states, right, Gary? Yes. And uh, you ki- you've killed a couple in Indiana um, now, hunting out of state down here with me. And then you killed one in Iowa this year, obviously. So um, I wanted to, well, first of all, Gary, like how long have you been hunting? And like uh, how long in your hunting career did it take you to get a hold of like beast tactics? 
Um, actually, I'm uh, been hunting for 38 years. My first year was when I was 12 years old. My dad, he was a meat hunter, so if it was brown, it was down. Uh, not a tree stand hunter whatsoever, but uh, he he got he usually shot does. I think he only shot a handful of, of bucks in all those years that he hunted. But uh, at 12, I just fell in love with it. I didn't see a deer the whole time I was there. I froze. It was probably the worst hunt I've ever had in my life, but I loved it so much that uh, by the time I was in middle school, I was reading deer and deer hunting in classes instead of listening to the teacher. Yeah. I, I went years. That was the only thing I really had to, uh, to help me out because my dad wasn't a buck hunter. We always hunted public land, but... Uh, I, uh, I probably hunted about 20 years, like brown it's down. Uh, I really took on to bull hunting way more than I did gun hunting, though. Just uh, a lot closer game. It's you against the deer instead of, you know, being chased around. But um, I used to trap for about 10 years. I used to run 300 traps. So it's quite a big line around here. Did that for about 10 years, and then I'd take a week, pull on my traps, and then during pre-rut, go up north and and uh, try to shoot a decent buck. And I mean, like, eight-pointer or better. I didn't go by mature bucks or anything. It was eight-pointer or better. If that eight points, I was shooting it. To me, that was a trophy at that time. Um, it wasn't until about, I don't know, about 10 years ago, maybe 11 years ago, till. Some friends of mine introduced me to a, a lone wolf stand. I used a homemade clapper, actually, all those years. Made out of aircraft aluminum and marine plywood seat belts and bicycle inner tubes. And I would just grab onto the tree and pull myself up. It gets to be a lot of work going up and down, man. I had the best abs. I had the rock hard abs back then. <laughs> By the time yeah. it was over. But somebody introduced me to lone wolf um, tree stands. And uh, since they were made right here in Plymouth, uh, I was able to get one at reasonable price. And and uh, that improved my game quite a bit. How long ago was that, Gary? Uh, probably about 12, 13 years, maybe. Yeah. And we got the same, the same company and same people that were making those stands uh, work for us now, making beast gear. Really? I didn't yeah, know. Same that. company, same place, oh. right in okay. Plymouth. Wow, that that's Jaja, right? Mm -hmm. Yep. Yeah. Anyways, um, so I um, I improved my game tenfold just being able to have that lighter stand and and sticks and being a lot safer. I did slide down some trees with that climber, so I felt a lot safer. <laughs> uh, red oaks were my enemy. It's terrible bark for climbers. Yeah. For mine, anyways. But yeah. anyway, um. So, like I said, I'd give up trapping, pull on my traps for a week, go go up north, try to fill a doe tag and, and fill my buck tag and then come home and run traps all over again. And uh, after, like I said, about 10 years, that's so probably about eight, nine years ago, I sold all my traps and stopped trapping and then just got into bow hunting. Uh, and from there... Uh, I tried doing the, you know, the hunting of bigger bucks and I always hunted public land my whole life. So, uh, 
I tried hunting some of the bigger bucks and I got close to, you know, two and a half, three and a half year olds. I, I did get a nice three and a half year old in a few years there, but it just seemed to be out of the game. Just, I just wasn't getting the, the sightings that I thought I should for the amount of work I was putting in. And I don't know, one day, um, I went to, uh, this is probably four years, three, four years ago, something like that. I went to Deerfest and with a friend of mine, Ryan Bertram and, uh, the hunting public was there and I started talking to all those guys. I was like, gosh, these guys are good. Nice guys. Started watching her videos. Uh, same guy, Ryan, says to me, hey, uh, you like them, you're going to like Dan Infault. I'm like, well, who's this Dan Infault now? You don't know? You you like hunting so much, you don't know who he is? I'm like, ah, I don't know. You know, I didn't watch a lot of YouTube then. And he's like, yeah, he's he's got the hunting beast. You'll really like him. You got to watch him. You got to watch him. So I, I watched the video and I was like, Dang, this guy's good. My, <laughs> I was like, good job, Gary. That's what I told him to say before Dan got on. <laughs> I got everything I could possibly lay my hands on, and I was really starting to make some headway. But then I, one day, I saw that he had posted that uh, he had a workshop in the swamp, and and I'm like, well, holy cow! I get to meet the guy. Plus, he's going to teach me how to hunt and give me a dinner. I'm like, well, heck yeah. So me and another guy from work signed up. I didn't know what I was getting myself into, honestly. And uh, we get out there and, man, that workshop was everything to me. That That's what turned everything around. Uh, and Maybe even Dan remembers me being there. It was three years ago, actually, almost. I couldn't, I, I couldn't remember the year, but I remember you being there, yeah. Yep. Tim has exact date because he has pictures of me there. It was uh, 2020. That was back when we used to go to the bar in uh, Jefferson for the meal, yep. right? Yep. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Yeah. And so I go to this thing, and um, that's where I met Josh. And uh, I'm going through, and I'm watching you, and I was afraid to ask questions at first. So I was like, you know, well, this guy probably doesn't want to hear what I want to say. But then I, you know, I started warming up and started realizing that you were wanting questions. So mm -hmm. I started asking questions. I really listened in. I mean, I was, my mouth was shut. My ears was open. I was learning. But I asked questions when there was, you know, when you said, anybody have any questions? And man, did I, I learned a lot. I just, it was a, I just feel like I was 50 yards out of the game this whole time. And it might as well be a mile. It might as well be a mile because I wasn't going to see the bucks that I was after. So from that point on, uh, well, I should probably say, um, me and two of my friends that have actually been on here. Brad uh, Zank and and, um, 
and Brad Crook. And uh, we had planned on going to Indiana. And I talked to Josh. And then I said, hey, I'm not looking for spots. And just kind of, kind of just, I've never been to Indiana. And I know nothing about it. So I have questions about licenses and stuff like that. He's like, talk to me after after the the deal here. And so anyways, uh, end up making a good friend from that point on. And man, my, my hunting, uh, that year, that winter, Dan, I put on over 600 miles scouting. I was so excited to, to put to work what I learned. And that next season I had shots, fair shots, like legitimately within bull range, within 11 of them were 130 inch plus two of my biggest bucks I had, I blew the shots on, um, I kind of, I know how you feel, Dan. I did that too. <laughs> um, one night and then the next morning, it was, it was, I was at such a low. But um, from that point on, now it's been, this was my third year doing the beast tactics. And I shot four of my biggest bucks in my career. Uh, thanks to you. I just feel I like uh, I learned so much and uh, been able to put that to work along with the hard work of scouting, obviously. And uh, it's really come together for me. I get the greatest feedback from um, the workshops. From everything I do, the workshops come back the best. And uh, I think it's when you can actually see the distance and, and be right there. And I mean, it's so hard to judge that stuff on a video, you know. Um, there's something about those workshops that I really get a lot of great feedback from. I get people come back and tell me they shot their best bucks and stuff after going to that. Yeah, I think the, the questions and just seeing it in real life, exactly what you said, it just, it just amazed me how close you're getting to these bedded bucks and how close you really need to be, especially in high-pressured areas like I hunt in, in order to get a shot at them before time runs out in the night. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, it was definitely uh, a highlight for me, for sure. What the... Uh... Like what specifically did you learn at the workshops, Gary, that you felt like turned you around? I know you were saying you just feel like you're 50 yards off, but I guess, can you like elaborate on that or what do you mean by that? So um, basically we have a lot of swamps around here and um, I would hunt just at the bottom of the hill going into those swamps or just up the hill, just a hair. Um, but it's too far in, too far off. Like I was where everybody else is. And by the time those mature bucks would get out of that swamp and get to me, it was after dark. I mean, yeah, I've seen a lot of scrapes and rubs, just like Dan says. And um, But in all honesty, I wasn't seeing what I should have been seeing until I got down, figured out where they were bedding, and got close to those beds. And that, that, that was everything. And it's just... And, you know, the, the cool thing about it is it doesn't just work for swamps. It works for CRP and it works for, it works for everything. I just, uh, relative, yeah. you know, I shot a, a buck in all different types, you know, the hills, um, swamps. I, I did that all this year, all different terrain. So it's river bottoms. Uh, it's, it's, it's just been awesome. For sure. Uh, if you can afford it, go to it. If you're hardcore, you should be going to it. I'll say that for sure. Yeah, for sure. So uh, you mentioned 
a little bit ago that you scouted 600 miles you walked after that first workshop so um you probably scout more than anybody i, I know like you you get for uh, you like a normal guy that has a a job you know um how, what do you do we want to tell everybody like what you do to be able to have that much time to sure um i'm a maintenance technician at a cheese company and i work rotating 12-hour shifts um and it works out real well for me at 50 percent off of the year but then when i take vacation on certain weeks if i take two days of vacation i have a whole week off straight so um i actually back in 2000 i had 20 years at kohler company and i got laid off in 2010 for like the 10th time. And I just, I, I just had enough. I was just in production there, um, on assembly line stuff. And, uh, I decided at that point I needed to upgrade my life a little. So I went back to school at, I was 48 years old, or excuse me, I was 38 years old when I went back to school. I actually had to learn how to learn again. And I got my degree in electromechanical technology and then ended up sliding into a, a maintenance position at a cheese company. Yeah. That gives me a lot of time to do a lot of hunting and a lot. And I have an understanding wife, too. So I should probably make yeah. sure. <laughs> as for Josh, if you don't have an understanding wife, it's uh, it's all over right off the bat. So, yeah, for sure. I, uh, I was going to tell you, Dan, on the, I got a message the other day on Facebook and me and you must've been talking about, uh, uh, work or something and like how, um, we've kind of made decisions on, uh, being able to hunt more instead of focusing on money and this and that, you know, mm -hmm. and, uh, someone messaged me and he, I guess he, he heard us, um, heard us talking about that. It like motivated him to he started uh, putting his applications into other places that he could have more time off. And he said, I got a job and I've, he, I've been there for six months now. And I, he said, I freaking love it. And he goes, I get all the time to hunt now. And he's like, if I never heard what you guys said, I wouldn't have done that. And I'm like, yeah, that's kind of cool. You know, <laughs> I hope, I hope the guy is. I think, I think the perfect job for me would be like to live under a bridge and not have any mortgage and just have my bowl under her. Yeah. Uh, mm. live off grid. I just don't think my wife would like living under that bridge. <laughs> I could probably do that maintenance job in the cheese factory because if I gave her cheese for her birthday and Christmas and <laughs> just to uh, buy dairy over, he brings and stuff. I mean, as long as she's getting cheese, I think she'd be happy. <laughs> just invite Gary over. He brings a box of it every time he comes over to my house. <laughs> well, now I'm hunting when Gary comes down there. I mean, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I was hoping to hunt with you this last time when you went to Indiana, but no, I had to fill a tag. <laughs> yeah, you, you you tagged out uh, the first couple of days of season. Yeah, yeah. So uh, you are you are very good at scouting, Gary. Like, what what is your strategy on scouting? I know you like utilize trail cameras uh, a lot. Um, can you talk on that a little bit? Just how you use trail cameras and and I mean, you you'll put out trail cameras. This Gary's going to come and scout this week here and you'll put out trail cameras this week already yep i actually have trail cameras out year round um i use trail cameras maybe a little different than other people um i'm always moving around i'm checking out new areas i you know because it just seems like especially around this area like you got a section of 
property and the buck you're after gets killed and then it may not see or there's a lot of people that get in there so you may not see a good mature buck in this area for another year or two until things calm down so i always especially in new areas i'll put cameras in certain just outside bedding areas and just let them soak all year like i just let them soak and um this time of year i'll, I'll pull the cameras and use that data for next year and it seems to work real well for me because some of these areas don't get hot until pre-rut uh sometimes it's mid-october where i see mature bucks cruising through kind of like they're getting ready to like checking out their area or something and or even just rot like there's spots that don't blow up until rot and you don't know this with you know you only can hunt one spot a night so I want it to be the highest percentage spots. Uh, rut is okay, but it's hard because it seems like the bucks around here have the rut areas. They have their uh, pre-rut areas. They have, and some of these bucks will travel five, six, seven miles and they'll be in certain areas at certain times. So if I could kind of figure out when these mature bucks are going to be in those areas, it gives me that chance to get back in there during that time frame the next year. Now, I don't know if those bucks will make it through. I've already had it where I've had the bucks on camera three times, three years now in the same spot in the same time frame, And I start getting this data. I mean, some of the bucks I, I, you know, I've got, four or five years of data on now but just can't seem to make it happen or they get killed by somebody else or a car or whatever um and then my my cell cameras i'll put into hot areas where i think those bucks will be coming through um and it gives me an idea of immediate intel mm -hmm. um but i like to use the cell cameras in hard to reach areas where I have to walk way back into, so I don't have to waste half a day going and, you know, going into an area and realizing, oh, this place is dead. Why am I wasting my time here? So it's kind of a gamble with the cell cameras. Either they can be hot or they can not, but I don't really do a lot of moving around the cameras too much during the season at all. I'm usually out there hunting with predetermined areas, either from spring scouting or from previous data. Yeah. Yeah. I've learned a lot from you with those, those trail cameras. You've got a really good knack at like hiding them too. Like, <laughs> yeah, like Gary, right. Gary will put a trail camera out here and he'll like, you can go check this one and I'll go check it. And I'm like, where the heck is that thing? And then finally I'll see it, you know, just in a little pocket somewhere, just so you can barely see it. You get very many stolen around you. Uh, I get a couple of years stolen. Um, I had one stolen this year and shame on me. Um, I had it in a new area. I was trying to collect intel. I did check it right before opening a, a bow hunting. You know, I know you and Brad Crook and everybody come, and I like to kind of know where some good stuff is and kind of, you know, send you in a direction. You guys kind of figure out your own spots. But I had a, a camera in this spot, and I caught a guy doing some illegal stuff. And I should have known better just to go back, pull the camera, and get out of there. But I left it in hopes that the guy was going to be decent enough not to, to touch it. And 
it, it ended up disappearing. So, um, yeah, I had pictures of him carrying in mineral and dumping it and, you know, we're coming out with empty mineral bags and what do you do? You know, I should have pulled the camera knowing I won't hunt an area if there's illegal activity going on because I don't want any part of it. Yeah. But I did kind of want some intel of what bucks are in that area because I knew that there was some other places near there that I could hunt without being in that that mix of illegal activity. Yeah. So. That's still pretty uh, impressive to only have. I mean, you thought you'd get more than that stolen. But. Yeah. Doesn't surprise yeah. me. I got some empty dud ones here if you want one to put a paint bomb in. <laughs> Actually, I had a bunch of junk ones. I thought about putting them out with a camera on them, but I just, I'm not hunting hunters. I'm just, you know, yeah. yeah. I mean, or you, you know, rather than a paint gun, paint gun, paint bombs are kind of hard to wire up. You could just wire a 12 gauge shotgun to it. <laughs> <laughs> well, I could get video of him and then send it your way, and then he could get like 200. We make him famous. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, that's funny. So yeah. You, go ahead, Gary. Go ahead. You uh you had a good year like out of state this year too. I mean, you killed two two dandies. Um what is I guess you do anything different out of state to um be successful versus what you do in Wisconsin near your your house there? Yeah, I stay away from other people. <laughs> yeah. No, uh now Indiana um as you know, I, I spend at least 3 three, three day weekends they're scouting and I'm constantly checking new area out and checking old area out and getting, uh, trail camera data. Um, now when I went to Iowa, um, I ended up, um, getting together with, um, Bodie and, um, and we were able to team up on some areas. I, we did some scouting. And I did find some good areas because I, I kind of like to find my own areas too, you know, I mean, but it, it just never in three days, you know, I got my deer ready. So I never had to actually go into there and uh, put a hunt in it. So, um, but yeah, I think I, I push a little bit harder when I'm in out of state uh, hunts, uh, especially knowing how much those out of state tags are. I figure I'm there. There's nobody to sidetrack me. Um, and I can give it my all. So that makes it a lot easier for me. Yeah. I think like, uh, if you can, if you're going to go to go out of state somewhere and you can like get some local knowledge or, or something, you know, um, from someone that's like knowledgeable about the area that, that can be really helpful. Um, and if you, if a guy wants to go somewhere and not, not talk to anybody and, and do that, that's, um, that's cool too. But like, if you, if you really want to fill a tag and, um, uh, you know, be successful, successful, it's, it's not a bad thing to do to, to reach out to, you know, locals that you, you might know. Um, and that's something that the hunting beast can help with too. I mean, especially the, the actual form itself. I think people are a little, not, not the anything wrong with the Facebook form, but people online are typically a little more friendly or maybe doing some trading about uh, information. If you live in, you know, Indiana and you want to go hunt Wisconsin, um, those kind of things. So. Absolutely. I definitely feel, um, 
use every single outlet you can, especially when you're going out of state to try to get some information, not specific bucks or anything like that. Right. But, I mean, every state hunts a little different. And I feel in that if you can get some prior knowledge of, of even just terrain or, you know, just finding out information, well, this area over here doesn't have a whole lot of pressure or you know anything you can just to kind of get some some knowledge before okay. yeah get started in the right direction at least yep yep now in iowa though you didn't have you didn't go pre-scout that really did you no and the reason is is because um we felt as though and i should probably mention that brad crook and brad zank we went as a as a group it was a group thing group effort mm-hmm. and um we went you know, we talked about, we bounced it around the pros and cons of going there during the summer or spring scouting. And here's the thing. I went during late muzzleloader season. You can have all the best crops in the world during the fall, but it means really not much for my hunt because it's going to be what crops are left standing when I go there. So that changes everything. So I can go there and do a lot of scouting, but everything changes by the time the end of December comes around. Now you're trying to find hidden fields or some standing crops standing. Sometimes the state puts in uh, food plots that are hidden. You're just trying to find something and it depends too. Are the oaks dropping? Um, the, the pods, the locust pods, uh, how abundant are those and how much snow? So it's like, I kind of feel that our time was better spent taking a trip to Indiana for for that early season scouting than it would have been to Iowa. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, late seasons, it does seem like there's a, a lot of different factors. Dan, do you, whenever you hunt late, I mean, do you, I guess, do you still utilize your like spring scouting in late season or is it more just uh, slightly? I mean, um, if I notice deer in, in hoarding up in an area where I've scouted, it helps me. But generally, uh, late season, um, I got to relocate the deer every year. Yeah. Uh, there were whatever the hot food source is um, at that time. And uh, the colder and the more the snow, the better. I mean, um, this year we didn't get the snow and the cold as much until right now. We just got some bitter cold and some snow, and it's just could have used it a couple weeks ago um or maybe even a month ago usually the end of december gets really snowy and cold and uh you start really getting some good action right around the turn of the month we didn't get that this year um it was just a ghost town so it was hard you had to locate them without the snow and stuff and that's the thing is they bunch up um they don't move very far in late season and they hoard around food so for him to waste time in spring scouting under, I don't think would have did him any good either. I think he, he'd do yeah. more good scouting an area for um, for pre-rut or for early season or, or something like that. And late season, you kind of got to go find him anyway. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've never thought about that. Like, I've only hunted, you know, a few hunts during late season per se. And, uh, yeah, I've never thought about how spring scouting really wouldn't help you much unless you're – they happen to be where you scouted that, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we did a lot of driving around, a lot of glassing, yeah. a lot of map reading. Um, you know, anything that would have been like a private crop field button up against public, it's 
you know, you'd have to, you know, run a mile back and see if there's anything in there for standing crops or anything, even if it was just cut corn to be worth it. But then on top of it, it, it got up to 60 degrees, 63 degrees while we were there for late season. That's, that's just crazy there. Um, so it was, it made it even harder because obviously all our snow melted, the rivers opened up and then there's like a weird clay based, uh, soil there. And I, I tell you what, it, it gets so slippery. There was, um, one point where I wanted to cross a river and, uh, to get up to this hill and I couldn't, it was like a 30 foot drop and I had hip boots, but I, I couldn't, I couldn't get back up the other side. So I, I couldn't get over there and I, I kind of, yeah, I kind of screwed that hunt up and I could hear a buck grunting in there, but, uh, I couldn't get back in there without blowing out another guy's spot. So, yeah. So yeah, it was, yeah. Rendell Eric hunted with me on one of those days and he, uh, he ended up on some, uh, standing corn. And he just saw a brute he couldn't get a shot at. It went into that standing corn and never came back out before it got dark. Uh, it was it was a big one. So we went in together after him the next day. But, uh, man, I couldn't get up that riverbank. It's, I've never, it's just a weird kind of clay, slippery stuff for sure. Is that, how many points do you got to have to draw that Iowa muzzleloader tag? I had two and... Since we did as a group, I think they combined your points. Brad Crook had two, and I think Brad Zank had four or five. Oh, okay. So he wanted to do a late muzzleloader hunt, though, to kind of extend our season. So I'm like, he's willing to burn five points for a muzzleloader. I'll burn two. And yeah. It was a hoot, for sure. Yep. Something else that, uh, well, we have, me and you, and uh, that's pretty unique is like um, we have like a core group of guys that we talk hunting with. That is like, it's pretty special. Like the, that um, it helps me a lot, like stay motivated and, and we bounce ideals off of each other and all that too with uh, Brad Zank and global and um, you. And we've, we've added a whole bunch of other guys to that little group. But, um, it used to just be us four, uh, but yeah. Uh, yeah. We use like, that Marco Polo app all the time. Yeah, it's like a brotherhood, it seems, where we're we're trying to pick each other up during the down times and motivate each other. And, of course, it's always exciting when somebody gets a deer. We're all excited. And, you know, when you tell me when I get a BBD from you, I'm like, pictures, 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 and you're going nuts. Like, hey, I'm trying to quarter this thing out. I will when I can. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm excited to see what you shot. Yeah. Uh, great group of guys, though. It's just fantastic. Yeah. Yeah, or Gary will throw out the BDD on me, and I get all excited, and then it's, and I, I read it like ten minutes later. I'm like, oh, he shot a doe, <laughs> big doe down. I'm like, gosh dang it, Gary! Don't, you, don't have, you don't have to tell me if he shot a doe. <laughs> hey, come on now! I still get excited about shooting doe. Oh, I know, but I don't. I don't for you. Sorry. No, uh, <laughs> I'm kidding. Grab your head and say, "Hey, BDD," but the horns fell off. Oh yeah, yeah. It is like a, I mean, even when you're in camp or something, like whenever you get that text uh, sitting in the stand that someone killed one or someone shot shot one, man, it does change, it like changes the mood of the whole whole yeah. thing, you know, no matter who it is. 
Indiana's a grind with all those hills, but when you get a, a text from people saying, hey, we got one, you know, that's <laughs> like everybody yeah. up and gets ready for work. Yeah. I mean, I don't, I mean, I remember calling Dan after I shot that Wisconsin buck and like hearing his excitement and his voice, just like, <laughs> really? You got him? You know? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Same with you. Like uh, when you shot that buck in Indiana with me, you know, I was, I was like two miles back in hill country and I, I didn't have any service where I was. And I got, I started, my phone started buzzing when I got up on top to where I could got service again. And, um, you know, it was you saying you, you shot one. I'm like, Oh heck yeah. You know, and I started running back as fast as I could. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I'm waiting at your home, figuring we grab a bite to eat, knowing that we got to go two miles in the bush to get that thing. You're yeah. like, get out here. Let's go get it now. What time we get back like two in the morning. Yeah. It was late. It took us all night, but yeah. you, uh, I was already, I wasn't very far from you. I just didn't want to drive all the way back to the house and then back to where I was. And, um, it all worked out though. Absolutely. Yeah, for yeah. sure. But then now this year, um, thanks to you, you, I started videotaping, you know, I had, I've got a grandson who was born. Um, he's now a year old, but, uh, and then, you know, all this, this, um, videotaping and i thought man this would be something cool for that kid to see when he gets older and hopefully he's in the hunting and so i bought a handy cam and a gopro and i am as amateur as amateur can be and i get out there and that first hunt uh with um i mean i hunted for a couple weeks in wisconsin and then ended up in indiana by you and i I did some amateur, made some amateur mistakes when I uh, was videotaping, but uh, for the most part, I, I got them on camera, which is to me is a feat in itself. I mean, I'd never videotaped before and kind of able to get them on there. And then, you know, to go from there and learning more and more between you, you and, and Cody, who used to new intern at Midwest Whitetails, man, I learned a lot, but I still have a lot to learn. Uh, so I'm hoping to upgrade the camera, um, this year and you know, I learned a lot and yeah. my videotaping improves. The downfall about that, you got, you got like a cheap, I mean, Dan, you use these for years, I think, but like a really uh, inexpensive, like Canon handy cam, like a little bitty one. Um, downfall of those things is the LCD screen's pretty small on them sometimes. Yeah, uh, kind of the biggest downfall is they don't, um record as they don't gain as much light as the oh yeah cameras yeah that's that's the biggest downfall yeah. yeah i was more or less talking about like trying to you know get on a deer i never uh, even look at the screen just point it in just, the direction yeah, just point it just have it zoomed all the way back if you're self-filming if you start trying to zoom in you'll never get anything on film if you can't be uh making like uh you know, professional TV shows, um, filming yourself. You have to have a cameraman for that. If you're self-filming, you just zoom all the way back and just point the camera in that direction. I was going to ask you, Dan, because for some reason, I've uh, the last like month, I've gotten a lot of questions about self-filming and like what, how do I get into it? Blah blah blah. You know, uh, I was going to ask you if you had any like tips for people. Um, because you've yeah. been that's basically it is uh that's the first thing i had to learn is that you can't be zooming in on deer yeah um because you will you'll screw up your hunts that's the 
biggest thing amateurs do is they try to zoom in or get real high quality stuff and they, and they make it even worse. I mean, they're close enough when they're at uh, 10 yards. I just uh, point the camera where it's going to, where the deer is going to be. And I concentrate on the shot because if you're worried yeah. about the camera, you're not going to make your shot. Yeah. It's then what a guy can do too, is he can also have um, a secondary camera, um, you know, maybe under hat or under bow or something in case it gets off a screen or something. So at least you have some backup, even if it's a little smaller or lower um, quality. Right. Yeah. And something else, a lot of guys like kind of uh, ask about is they want to get a 4k camera uh, and all that. And like, that doesn't matter that much. I mean, it, the problem with getting like that really high resolution cameras and like all, all uh, you can get them pretty affordable now, but um, they eat up so much of your computer. Uh, yeah, edit anything that high grade. Yeah. And then yeah. also like most computer screens aren't 4k screens, so you can't see it anyway. <laughs> like you can't, it doesn't, um, you know, I, I, I had to buy a, like a aftermarket, uh, monitor so I could tell the difference in 4k and 1080p because my laptop's not 4k. Every so. time I get 4k, uh, film from somebody to edit, oh, it geez. just locks my computers up and yeah. I struggle and it, it's hard. And then, like you said, uh, once I uploaded it, it's the same as everything else anyway. So yeah. and if you're, and if you're self filming, you're zoomed all the way back anyways, you're not getting all that high quality stuff. You know, it's, Really, uh, for me, for the self-filming, what we're doing is we're telling a story and we're um, teaching some lessons on how to hunt. We're showing people how we do it. It's not really about um, great kill shots or whatever. They can go to 900 other channels where they go to game farms if they want to see kill shots. You, you know, um, what we're doing is different. I mean, I saw a comment today already, like, like I wasted 55 minutes watching this show and there wasn't a kill on it. Yeah, <laughs> Go to the outdoor channel. <laughs> go, right. Go right. Game for months. You know, yeah. that ain't with this. Yeah. yeah. It definitely uh, makes your hunts. I mean, it complicates things by far. Probably makes it twice as hard. You're carrying stuff in. You're worried about the weather. You're trying to get the shot. You got two camera. I set up a GoPro and that handy cam, and you're trying to set it up. Um, then I made a, a camera arm because, you know, I, I'm in maintenance. Get you one yet? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I'll get you one. I'll make you one. Oh, man. It's, uh, yeah, I tried using carbon fiber arms and it just, uh, it's been a disaster. So, um, I mean, every the idea is good, but it just, it worked, but it's just not ideal. I can't hang a bow off it, that's for sure. <laughs> so, right. Um, but yeah, it's it just, it's a super complicated thing. Cause now you're not just putting your thought process into killing that buck. You, you got like five things going on around you at once. Uh, once you figure out the cameras, uh, once you figure out a system, um, you can ask Josh about this. It becomes real simple. Then you won't, you would never even want to go hunting without it. It's that first year that yeah. you really struggle. Once you get through that. If you commit yourself to a year, the first year you're going to struggle a little bit. And some people have faster learning curves than others. But after that, it just becomes simple. I couldn't even imagine going hunting without my camera. Literally. I mean, that's just, 
and once I, I put that on the tree and it's like, it's forgotten. It's just part of me. It's part of my hunt. It doesn't affect me in any way, shape or form anymore on how I perform. Um, but it did for the first year, maybe a year and a half, you know, um, but once you get that down and you learn to just back it off, aim it, hit record, and just forget about it. Now you're hunting, you know, just aim it in a general direction. Maybe you got to move it once or something. If a deer moves somewhere where you didn't expect it or something, but generally, um, you just got to learn that once you get that backed off, you got such a wide view screen that you can aim it without even having the door open, you know, and, and you're going to have it in, in film. So, um, it's just a matter of getting used to that and it'll all come together. Hey, you know, what's really neat is not the fact that I'm getting it on videotape, but I'm learning stuff about me and my too, like maybe stuff I need to improve on. When I look at the GoPro footage and I'm going, geez, I, I moved a little bit more than I thought I was. I, I need to slow down or uh, I'll be honest with you. I get super excited after I shoot a deer mm -hmm. and I didn't realize I get that excited but I obviously do. And I guess that's why deer hunting is always going to be a passion for me. If once I lose that excitement, I'm done. But uh, it's not even just about killing that buck. I, I, I'm like you, Dan. You know, everything you put on Facebook with those stories, I can relate to. It's just, and I don't know if it's because, you know, I'm getting up there in age myself and kind of going through that evolution of a hunter. But it's the adventure for me now. It's it's not the killing it's the, the friends that I've made through the hunting beast and through hunting um, and the adventure of checking out a new area and going in there, trying to figure them out. And even if I get to see that buck, I, I kind of feel that was successful. And but once I, I get a deer, that's just, that's just the final thing. And it's almost kind of sad, like, because then I'm done. Like, that's it. Yeah. I buck. And well, now it's time to go a different state, but, <laughs> but, yeah, you, uh, you were, uh, you were all tore up whenever, uh, you couldn't come and hunt Indiana again for the second yeah, time. Yeah. Like, with Dan. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we'll get on. We'll get on. Yeah. I, uh, um, I, but anyways, you know, kind of getting back to that Otis state thing. The one thing I did find it a challenge, um, was that, uh, I was, you know, was in Wisconsin for a couple of weeks and then I was taken off to Indiana. Like literally the last day I could hunt before I went to uh, Indiana, I got on two real good bucks, real good bucks. And of course I go to Indiana for, you know, four five, six days and then, you know, work a couple of days somewhere in there. I come back and everything's different already. So mm -hmm. then I start getting, start getting things figured out and then, you know, I'm, then it's, you know, the ruts are already starting. There's so much happening so quick. It's, it, it makes it tough. Like I said, you, you just get going and then you're leaving and then you get going and you're leaving and you kind of, you want to pick up where you left off, but it, things are so much different or other guys get in there or the acorns are cleaned up or, you know, the beans maybe turn brown on you or whatever. Yeah. I see that a lot because, you know, I, I hunt a lot, so I've got over a hundred sits in this year. And uh, when you hunt day to day, you see the changes, you know, you know what I mean? You're, you're on top of it. Then I go away for a week and I come back and everything's different. And I got to figure out where everything's going on again. Yep. A week makes a huge difference. If you're, you know, you, 
you're gone or whatever, go out of an area. So I get that totally. I mean, uh, the road trips I was doing definitely have an effect on my, um, my hunting back home. Um, we can't all be Josh's wherever we go. We knock one down. Right. <laughs> Dang. Yeah. Yeah. I've yeah, got four bucks in three States, but you shot four bucks in four States. That's, that's mm -hmm. unbelievable. Josh. That's, that's crazy. Awesome. Thanks. Yep. I'm kind of, uh, out of everything, like I was pretty proud of that doe I shot in Michigan. I don't know why. Wait, but <laughs> I, I, I don't know why, dude. But I think about wasn't that. He just, hey, wasn't he just making fun of you about some yeah. doe? I didn't even pay attention when you shot that doe. <laughs> I don't know, just, just where it was and like the struggle we were having. I just was like. I felt good about that doe. I was like, man. Yeah, it was, was kind of cool to break the ice up there. It was like, uh, yeah. it was like, uh, we were even joking uh, while you were out there, uh, me and Eric, be like, he's going to shoot one way back there. Sure enough. Yeah. As bad as what it seemed like it was going to no, be. It wasn't, but, it wasn't uh, that people bad, don't realize like, from video, but you're like in the middle of some nasty swamp. Yeah. Way Wait, out in the middle of nowhere. Pulling a sled. <laughs> It was bad enough getting back there. Like, it took me forever to get back there. And I was all cut up with briars and everything else. I texted you guys. I'm like, are you sh are you sure you want me to shoot one back here? Like, it's rough. And, uh, shoot like, it. We'll yeah, figure out how to get it out later. Is that the one pulling an empty sled? Yeah. Well, that's that's it. What? Yep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's it. <laughs> Dan, you should have jumped on it and laid there. They would have pulled you right out never known. Yeah. <laughs> That Eric's an animal. I mean, he'd just grab one leg and just, just keeps moving. <laughs> we can he'd just sit back, have a sandwich, and hold the light and be like, yeah, just drag it over there, and he'll just keep going. <laughs> yeah. But I, I, you know what? The one thing that I was really excited about, and I know we're back to that dull thing that you don't get excited about unless you shoot it. Uh, yeah. But I shot a doll um, up in Wausau, and this thing, I actually had had a great shot on it because I was using late knocks, and this thing ran off and died in camera view, and I was so proud of that. And I kind of showed Josh. He's like, "Oh, okay, whatever." No, no. I'm, I'm like, man, that was like the best I've ever done. <laughs> but it's a doe. <laughs> no, I'm 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 always happy for you when you get a doe and stuff. But you don't have to you don't have to text me big doe down. <laughs> or like that. Got me a dough tonight. That'd be good enough. Huh. Yeah. Um, my cousin, I, that probably comes from my cousin. He's a, he's a guy that doesn't shoot anything, but like great big, big deer, you know, like big deer. And uh, I used to hang out with him. He's older than me. I used to hang out with him when I was young all the time. And him, my aunt, his mom came home over, over to the house and um, she was all excited. She's like, Adam, Adam, and my cousin, Adam, so-and-so got him a great big deer. He's like, oh really? Uh, and she, he's like, she's like, uh, he goes, how how big was it? She goes, oh, it's just a big old doe. And he goes, mom, there's no such thing as a big doe. And then, <laughs> <laughs> so maybe that's why I'm always like that. But uh, no, I still get excited. Too Gary, I just I'm just giving you a hard time, man. Yeah, I, you know, I shot three freezer queens this year. And, you know, I get pretty excited on all three. I, I It's, to me, I, anytime I shoot a deer, I get pretty excited. But uh, but not Josh. 
the the Michigan one I was excited. The uh I shot one with a muzzle loader that was kind of I don't know, you know. It was it was uh, a hunt that I pretty well knew I was gonna shoot one and it was like they were like 80 yards from me when I shot them too. So, but it was good. I mean, it was good meat for my sister who I shot it for. So, yeah, you know, I always, I always um, go with the intention, like kind of from the high doe area, that I'm going to shoot some does and, you know, have some fun. And I never do. I always start thinking I'm going to ruin my chance at some monster, you know. Um, and then this year I almost did. I mean, uh, that doe that I shot early season, I thought I had no chance. I was out there just to, to, to observe from a distance. And I shoot that doe and I turn around and that giant buck was watching. Mm-hmm. I got a shot at the buck, but I ended up wounding it. And I would be willing to bet if I didn't shoot that doe, that buck would have never spotted me. And it would have been a whole different turnout and it would have came by. Um, and I think that deciding to shoot that doe is what really spiraled the downhill, that whole hunt that's been going through my mind a lot. Yeah. We've been on that struggle too, in our group of guys. And, um, you know, we all love venison. Mm -hmm. We just love it. And, uh, but the problem is just like you said, do you shoot a doe and screw up that spot? For the first like week, we'll try to go out in mornings and in doe areas that we call them and try shooting a doe and then save the evenings for, for buck hunting. But for a couple of years there, the other brads would uh, not shoot a doe, and then end the season comes around, they're going, oh, we don't have any venison. Oh, I should have shot a doe. So we kind of made a contest. Uh, first one to shoot shoots a doe gets breakfast bought by all the rest of the guys. So it, it started, uh, the doe shooting started picking up a little quicker. So uh, that helped a little bit. Made it a competition. Yeah, and then obviously we do that the the beard deal where you the opening day of Wisconsin uh, bow hunting, you have to start letting your uh, beard grow, and you're not allowed to shave it until until you shoot a buck. Well, there's been a couple guys who haven't shot bucks, and their beard is like pretty big, and guys are not liking it. So they made a new rule this year if you shoot a doe you have three days to trim you can't cut it off you can trim mm. but, uh yeah so i think um you and i were the only ones who could uh shave all the way up till what a week before gun deer hunting in wisconsin and brad crook shot a nice one yeah i think zinc still has his i think tomorrow he gets to shave oh wait no he killed that buck in iowa Yep. Oh, you mean he gets to shave after season? This should be not until he shoots the deer. <laughs> <laughs> You'd look like this then. Well, uh, luckily, Zank did get one in Iowa. He got a buck. But uh, honestly, that, that poor guy, he's a single guy. And uh, he's going to need all the help you get without that beard. Daryl's <laughs> <laughs> uh, got a cat um, called the Crappin' Kitten. Actually, it's a different word, but it's the, we'll just call yeah. it crap and kitten. We can, um, yeah. That's now a cat. Um, and yesterday, it was sitting on my lap while I was, I was watching uh, TV, and it spins its head around, stares at my face, and the tail starts flicking a little like it's looking at a, a bird. And I'm like, what are you looking at? And it jumps up and bit me right here. Oh. <laughs> so I'm starting to think this thing's looking like a rabbit or something. 
<laughs> I might have to shave, or I might get attacked in the night. I might have to sleep or, under the covers. You could die, you know. So die, yeah. Like, I'm gonna die if that thing eats me right if it gets my throat. <laughs> I could dye your beard like color. Diet. Diet, yeah. Yeah. Then I'll think, think it's I, a present or something, right? <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah. That'd be hilarious. You dyed your beard, Dan. You'd have to dye some weird color though. What color? I don't know, like uh I don't know, purple, and then wear that rainbow shirt you wear that has the has that like poop emoji with the rainbows coming out of its mouth. Yeah. <laughs> Do you see what I got today? My daughter bought me this one. Oh it's, yeah, 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 yeah. That's in space. Nice. Yeah. It's weird. You could always dye your your beard blaze orange for gun hunting. Yeah, there you go. That'd be hilarious. You <laughs> <laughs> just dye your hair. I could put beads in it. Yeah, you can make it. Uh, yeah, I don't know. You could have all kinds of crazy I bet things. God do that with as long as his is now. Yeah. 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 I don't know how my my son told me tonight. He wants me to get grow bigger. Like, all right, buddy. <laughs> Down to your belly. That's what he told me. Down to your belly. Yeah. <laughs> like, oh, all right, buddy. <laughs> your wife like that. Your wife like a beard. Yeah, she she likes it. She doesn't care. Mine hates it. She does not like clean shaving. My old lady wants me. a clean shaven face. As you can see, I obey. <laughs> <laughs> I uh, a number of years ago, it was Easter, and I got up Sunday morning and I shaved. My beard, because we're taking family pictures and stuff. Like, oh, I'll look nice, you know. And I shaved, and I came out of the bathroom, and she's like, oh, my God, what did you do? I'm like, I just shaved. I shaved, you know. And she's like, we got pictures today. I'm like, ah, sorry. <laughs> I thought So I learned my lesson pretty early that she does not yeah. like me to have a smooth face. Well, uh, I hate to say it, but you still got that baby face. So you shave, you look like you're uh, 15. Yeah. <laughs> You know, the, the older I get, the less that like doesn't. I'm like, oh, thank God, you know. <laughs> maybe, maybe not me. I even I look like I'm 90. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Face getting all wrinkled up and stuff. Oh. Uh, yeah. The other day, I found a a picture of Eric Jeske when he had no beard. I sent it to him. I'm like, who's this stud? It's like, where's yeah. that picture? <laughs> I work with a, a guy that uh, grew up with him. Oh. <laughs> oh, you should have sent that to me. I'd blackmail him. He'll <laughs> 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 <Still> have it. <laughs> oh, that's funny. You're going to put it on the cover of a video or something. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. I got all kinds of things. <laughs> <laughs> you could probably dig up more of them. Yeah. No, that's funny. I keep that in mind. <laughs> we uh we've been on it for an hour. You guys want to take some questions in the comments? We yeah, sure. question going. Um, if you guys want to ask questions, I don't think I said this in the beginning of, of the show. Just leave some questions in the comments. We'll get to them. I think for the most part, everybody knows the drill. But um, also, if you like the show, make sure you hit the subscribe button. We're closing in on eleven thousand subscribers. So, it'd be awesome if you guys could push me over that limit tonight. I don't know what we're at right now, but we were close before the show started. Um, all right, let's see here. All right. How can you tell the difference between a doe buck and mature buck beds? I'm not great at looking at tracks yet. And it's hard for me to tell if it's a hundred percent of buck bedding. 
um, unless there is rubs in the bed. You want to take a stab at it? Did you learn anything, Brad? Gary, you mean? Oh, Gary, I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> I said Brad a few times tonight. I'm done. That's right. That's right. Um, <laughs> there's too many Brads in our group. That's probably. You, you have a 50% chance that you're right. right. If I say Brad, I'm like 90% of the time <laughs> I'm right. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I judge by the size of the bed usually and as in location, um, depending, of course, uh, in hill country, it's going to be leeward sides and points and stuff like that. Uh, and in marshes, it's to me, it seemed like the tree furthest in. <laughs> The furthest one of truth to that. And uh yeah. So and as far as the size of the tracks, for sure, four finger is I, I feel pretty good that it's gonna be a shooter buck for me. So for me, what it what it is is um you can look at the bed. Um a buck is a solitary animal. They live by themselves, they don't live in groups. Does live in groups. Does will bed in circles, they bed a little uh little higher up at a hill. Like towards the tops, where the, the bucks are on the leeward edge, right at that thermal tunnel. And when you're in um, swamps or farm or whatever, that buck is going to be right on the edge of the thick or into the thick a little bit, or the does are going to be just into the open a little bit. A buck is always going to have a bed where he's got some, well, not always, but most of the time, he's going to have an obstacle to his back, the wind to his back, and he's going to be looking downhill. You can get in the bed, you can see what he's looking at. Sometimes they get in thick cover surrounded by thick. But um, the thing that tricks people is does, especially solitary does, will use buck beds. They're not just used by bucks. So when a does bedding solitary, it'll use a buck bed. Now, with mature bucks, um, it gets a little bit different because uh, buck bedding areas, like if you go into... Like I say, I'm thinking about a local marsh near my house that I hunt a lot. I might know where there's a hundred different buck bedding areas. About 15 of those are used by mature bucks. Once they get to a certain age, they'll only choose certain types of bedding areas. And you should see that with the sign, with the size of the rubs and stuff. And the rubs should be in the beds. I mean, if, if you have uh, rubs around a bedding area or in a bedding area, it doesn't necessarily mean it's a buck bedding area. It can mean that there's bucks coming there during rut to mate with those. Um, but when the rubs are right in the beds, that's, that's usually bucks claiming those beds. And then you can look at the size of it, obviously. And as Gary alluded to the size of the bed and the size of the tracks can tell you a lot too, but that the biggest thing is, is that doe groups do not bed with obstacles to their back. They don't bed in relation to the wind. They read in a circle and they, they look each look a different direction and they watch out for each other. They're. They're group animals where a buck is a solitary animal. He's worried about number one. He care less about everybody else. He's just worried about himself. He only comes together with a group to mate or in a small short time when, when they're in velvet. Um, so you should be able to look at the buck. And if you understand how a buck is, you should be able to see the bed and understand that that's a buck bed just by looking at the bed. Generally with a really mature buck, when you get into a good bedding area, there's a wow factor. There's a like, holy crap, this thing's living right here. How the hell would I ever kill this thing? 
He's got everything he needs here. How would I get close to it? He's going to see me from over there. He's going to smell me from over there. There's usually a specific reason where you don't get that vibe when you come into a dope bedding area. Yep. I ran into it. I was walking on a ridge today and uh, came upon a real big bed. It like, looked like it maybe could be a buck laid in there. And then, you, you know, I walked five yards more and then there was another one. And then I started looking around and you could see it was a doe group just bedding on the side of a ridge. Um, but have you seen it though, where like on a point where it seems like a buck will have two different beds according to wind? Oh, yeah, they'll bet. Like, matter of fact, a lot more than two in a lot of cases, they'll bet all the way around a point, and depending on, on keeping the wind leeward, they'll move. And I've actually been on, on points and watched bucks rise from one bed and go to the other as the, as the winds change. Of what should happen? That's awesome. Call it uh, uh, shifting. They get up and they shift from one bed to the other. All right. Mike asks: In thermal hubs, swirling winds, do you think that mature bucks can decipher where alarming scents are coming from? Yes and no. So I don't know if it matters. Does it? If they're alarmed, well, it, it doesn't matter to a little to a degree because they got to leave some way, right? They don't know where you're at. They might go to you. I've seen them look around and like look in the wrong direction, alarmed when the winds are swirling. But they seem to very quickly figure it out. Hmm. Uh, I don't know if they can smell other things in the wind, like the plants around you or whatever, which might sound far fetched, but their smell is so much greater than ours that I think they can kind of decipher where. Something's coming from. I've seen him look the other, the wrong direction, but then quickly figure it out. You know where where you're at. Hmm. What do you think, Josh? I don't know. It seems like if you're bow hunting them, you're going to be close enough to where I don't know if your wind would like if you're would swirl around and come back. I don't know. Um, I've never had one like wind me and look the opposite direction. I guess to have any data points for you um now you know they may every time i've seen it it's a short time later they're locked on me yeah yeah gary you've hunted quite a few hubs now yeah um, i think depending on kind of terrain you're hunting because certain it seems like certain areas if they catch any kind of human scent they're gone like they just run and then there's other areas where they're a little bit more accustomed to people like around by me, we have a lot of horse trails and stuff. So if they do catch you a little bit in the swirling winds, they're not as sensitive to it. But I tell you, the, the deer in Indiana, man, they're super sensitive to human scent. They had that dole. She saw my backpack and smelt me. And man, she, she must have ran two counties over. I was like, what the heck? She never saw me, but she 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 must have caught that scent off my backpack that I left at the base of the tree and looked right at that backpack, and then she was gone. And she, I thought, geez, what what the heck? What happened here? You heard about that doe killing reputation of yours? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, oh, yeah, in Indiana, I, you know, I, I just go there for buck only because they. They really, um, 
they like their doze here. They're pretty expensive for non-residents to shoot. Yeah, I know. What is it, like 500 bucks for a doze? It was <laughs> <laughs> Not that much. Like, it's 150 or 250 or something. It was, it was pretty high. high. Yeah, it was over 200, I think. Don't quote me on that. I mean, I don't know. I don't don't yeah. lie. Them, but they raised, it was expensive. The $250 for a non-resident tag or 240 or something like that last year. So It's not much less than a buck tag. Really, well, when you look at the population of deer donor, at least in my opinion, they probably shouldn't be handing everybody doe tags. So, right, I agree with you. Yeah, Gary, you've probably—I mean, I bet you haven't seen but a handful of deer in Indiana, have you? Yeah, but I—I kind of feel that, um, and something I notice is when I'm hunting mature bucks, it seems I see less deer in general. That kind of was like that around here this year, even. Um, I'm seeing less deer than I normally would if I was just hunting deer per se. Uh, but I, I don't know if that's the, generally how it goes, but that's how it's been for me. Sometimes it can get frustrating, but I just got to trudge, trudge through it. You know, there's a lot of times like I have, uh, cameras out and stuff where I had, uh, just nice buck after nice buck after nice buck going through during the rut and I just couldn't go over there and hunt because I'm, I'm really after something bigger. You know what I mean? Um, yep. if you, if you set set goals and, stuff. and, and honestly, if one of those bucks walked by me, I'd kill it. But you know, there's something about me that's got to chase the biggest one. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Last year I shot a, a, a buck. What was it? Uh, five days in the season here. I did, a, a bump and dump like literally i kicked him out of the bed trying to get into a spot hung and about an hour later he came back through and i shot him and it was called it we called it the tweener buck it was not a small buck but it wasn't a big big one that i was after so we called it mm -hmm. a tweener. yeah five days in the season mm -hmm. that it was, it's hard to pass up, but yet it's like, ah, I kind of wish it would have held off for a bigger one. So I try not put myself in that position anymore. It's a, it's a hard thing. I mean, uh, you know, sometimes I'd like to shoot a, you know, um, a nice 130 inch buck opening day and then, then be able to travel all over the place, chasing them all over the country. And then, but then if I shot one that, like that, I'd be kicking myself all, all yep. season going, oh, look at what's showing up on my camera. Look at what's over here. Look at, you know. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> it's a catch twenty two. Yep. Yeah, there is. For sure. All right. Tom asks, when do bucks rejoin other bucks after the rut uh, to form bachelor groups? How long do you see them, Dan, before they start grouping back up? Oh, geez, probably about green up is when they start coming back together. Yeah. I think, I, I think it's about when they start growing. Just starts to be green. Yeah, growing horns again probably would be a time they start bunching up. And uh, I don't, do you see them in late season like together much? I mean, they'll be out in the field together, but just mostly because it's they're it's the only food source around or yeah, something. I don't know if they're bunched, but you see them together, but I think it's because they're feeding. Right. I don't think they're actually hanging together, like not on purpose. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, maybe. Maybe. I, them together. Iowa Brad was seeing groups of bucks coming out but they were more the smaller bucks that were hanging together not the mature ones they seem like yeah, actually for the, for the real giant ones i don't see them bunched up too mm -hmm. often even during the typical times 
but uh, I think part of that is is we're not hunting game ranches and stuff, and there might only be one mature buck that's six or seven years old in your area, and and uh, you know they don't hang with the three and four year olds, you know. All right, different Tom. Ask uh, um, if you bump a deer uh, the next day after shooting it with a bow and it runs away looking healthy and the blood trail is almost completely gone. How far do you continue pursuing it? Hmm. If you bump a deer the next day, 16 to 22 hours after you shot it with a bow and it runs away looking healthy and blood trail is almost completely gone. Uh, that's a good question. I think I'd want to know where I thought I shot it. Yeah. Um, if, you, if you still have blood, I don't know. I'd probably. As long as I got a blood trail, I'm following. Yeah. That's what I would Blood say. Blood trail, and I, I haven't hit a land border. I'm following it. Um, but uh, how I follow it is going to determine how it's hit um, and what the blood looks like. If I think it's, if I got any kind of inkling that I have a little bit of blood or, or uh, liver or guts and I jump it, I'm going to back off and wait a few hours. But uh, a liver shot or gut shot, either one of those should be dead by 15 hours. If it's not, I'd question it, but I'd have to think maybe if you just barely poked the liver or the guts, maybe it would take longer. I have had uh, deer you shoot and you find them 15, 16 hours later from a gut shot that's just barely in the guts that uh, you end up having to dispatch, but it can barely move. But they don't really die from uh, blood loss, so they almost always die within that 15 hours um, because they die from toxic poisoning if they're shot through the liver or the guts, um, which is different. It's, it's a time thing. It's not a bleeding thing. Um, but if I have blood, um, I'll keep tracking. Matter of fact, if it's flesh blood, if it's not, it has nothing to do with liver or guts, I would, if I'm not near any land borders, I'd push it because if it sits still and stops bleeding, you'll never find it. But if you push it, you can, it'll keep bleeding and you can literally bleed it out as long as it's bleeding enough to die. Um, I can think of one that uh, I literally chased down and uh, uh, ended up getting it. I, I shot it just above the knee, um, a nine-pointer, uh, many, many years ago. And I just chased that thing till it ran out of blood. Hmm. I did yeah. that for a, uh, another guy, too. Um, I shot a, a, an actual boot and crockett. We chased the thing for two days until it bled out, and it was just shot in the leg. Hmm. But we kept that wound open. Yeah, day and night, and just kept on its trail, and it, it ran out of blood. When we field dressed it, there wasn't even a drop of blood in it. Dang! But you got to push them because um, they will clot up really quick if they lay down. And yeah. a lot of times they'll get ahead of you and lay down anyways, and, and pack their wound against the uh, the soil and, and clot up. But it's the only chance you have if it's a flesh wound is to keep them bleeding. All right. Boo Boo 44 done milking. <laughs> he asks, uh, what's your theory about peeing out of your tree? Zeke says, I enjoy peeing out of high things. <laughs> That's what I was trying not to laugh when you were telling that story because I read that <laughs> while you were telling that story. It made me giggle. <laughs> you guys pee no, out of your tree? I've had a lot of people tell me that they, um, they uh, use a pee bottle. And I've never really understood that because I feel that that's like wasting good squirrel ammo. Yeah. That is the ultimate is peeing on a squirrel. 
I mean, possums are like two points, but squirrels are like six points if you get a squirrel. Yeah. The, the best is if you can just like hold it for just a little bit and then you whistle and you get them to look at you and you get them right between the eyes. Oh, God. <laughs> one, of these days, one of these days, I'm going to do the, the double ultimate. It's like 20 points. I'm going to get it on video. <laughs> yeah. I, uh, I try to pee before I go out to the woods, but if I have to pee, I just pee out of the, out of the stand. Yeah, I've never seen it bother a deer. I think if the deer's bothered, if it gets close enough to smell your pee, it smells that you're there. Um, but I have seen them just walk under the stand and, and lick urine up. I've, I've never seen them bothered by it. I've never seen it uh, bother a deer in any way, shape, or form. You know, um, I kind of would think that um, they could sense meat eater urine because it has a different order but they don't seem to sense it. It doesn't seem to be in their fear factor. I don't think it, I don't think uh, urine bothers them in any way, shape or form. You pee out of staying Gary? Absolutely. I'm a piss ant. So every time I get set up, the first thing I have to do, oh, yeah. is just, especially as they get older here, it gets worse. But uh, so Dan, you don't quit eating garlic before deer season and all that, or <laughs> no, Mm -mm. Mm -mm. Uh, what i do gotta watch though is the taco tuesdays with carol oh man yeah they tend to hit you on uh on wednesday about a mile back yeah you know as you get older you think about what you what's going to happen to you in 12 hours after you're done eating something yeah and uh good luck at even aiming that at a squirrel <laughs> <laughs> days in the stand does the uh my uh my son pooped in the woods for the first time either we were sunday we went out shed hunting and just i put a trail camera up and uh he had to poop and he pooped in the woods and he was so freaking proud of himself he's like i get a badge so he told me told us get a badge and then maddie found a shed and he's like he's like mom mom gets a badge too and then on the way back he just talked about these badges they had him for pooping and then her for finding the shed it's you so funny. Do it, wipe for for pooping in the woods. <laughs> oh, that's funny. Yeah, no, we used a leaf, so he got the he got the full experience. Oh boy, uh, it was pretty funny. The Kylie man, it's better than him pooping his pants. <laughs> yeah. Usually, what would happen in the past? So he's getting closer. Um, all right, let's do a few more here, everybody. Paul asked, do you guys notice much heavy scrape activity early in the fall uh, with mature bucks hitting them? I'm hunting a new steep oak ridge system along a creek system and had cell cams on multiple. Yeah, sometimes they do. Especially if they're in the right location. They're, you know, near near bedding. I mean, it doesn't really matter when the if a, if a mature buck's uh, hitting those scrapes if it's not during daylight hours, you know. Some um, of my biggest bucks, my absolute biggest bucks with a bow, were shot over scrapes in September. So keep that in mind. They use scrapes. It's just a matter of where the scrape is located if they'll use it in daylight. Yeah. Gary, you hunt a lot of scrapes here early season. Yeah. I think Indiana, I love those hub scrapes, man. I just... Uh... 
They're killer. They're killer. And it sounds like, uh, he's hunting some, some hill country. Uh, if you can find those hubs, man, I'm telling you, that's, that's it. I don't always like the, the buck I shot in Indiana this year. Um, I wasn't over that hub scrape. I was actually on a finger that led down to that hub scrape that the mature bucks usually, uh, take. I found this, uh, scout in this last spring and all the sign was down one finger that led to that, that hub scrape. So I moved up that finger, um, cause I could get away with it with the wind and get a little closer to that bedding. All right, Corey, thanks man for the donation of $5. Let me read your question here. A lot of people road hunt archery where I'm at. I don't know if it's just people are lazy or maybe so much big woods, tons of land. What do you think? I don't know what road hunting archery is. I don't know either. <laughs> I don't, uh, road hunting to me is whenever you're driving around, maybe just looking for a deer and then try to shoot it. Get out. And so, shoot um, so I, I do a lot of driving around, finding deer and hunting them by locating them in, in new areas. And that might be what he's talking about. So yeah. like when I went to Michigan, um, if I just went in the woods during late season and, uh, and all that snow and searched for tracks and, and went and checked ridges and went and checked swamps and stuff, I would have put a lot of miles on and not found many deer. But when I can drive those logging roads and drive back and find the trails and then walk the trails back to the deer, I can get on them a lot faster. So I did a lot of, a lot of scouting from the truck. And then when you find the sign, then you go in from there. And maybe that's what he's talking about. Um, but that, that is an effective way to, of hunting. I mean, deer aren't afraid of roads. They're not very far in from them in a lot of cases. Right. Oh, I'm going through some more of the stuff here. Um, someone asked where you get all your cool shirts, Dan. Uh, a lot of them are given to me. Um, if I see one that uh, makes me laugh, sometimes I'll buy them. Yeah. But uh, it seems like everybody gifts them to me. You go to work, they're laying on my bench. I, I come home, they're laying on the porch. Um, my mailbox is full. Yep. Yes. Uh, Zeke is asking if you could show him your, your bucks behind you, Gary. Uh, he's asking oh. if you could see him. There you go. Yeah, all the bigger ones are actually at the taxidermist. Yeah, that's the problem. Yeah. Shooting. It's always fun to shoot these nice bucks, but then the taxidermy bill kind of like uh, can be overwhelming. <laughs> yeah, but not if you shoot a big doe, if you don't mount it. If you shoot big doe, then yeah. here, and then you don't get the high five. What are you so excited about the does, you know, and see, Josh don't get that. <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> I hear being mounted two of my deers this year. They're already back here. I got to get them back. Just yeah, I, them have, I got a couple of them that were European mounted this year. You're both your both your bucks are at my uncle's, aren't they, Gary? No, one's got a. It'll be there this weekend. Uh, he's got one of them from my Indiana, but the other two had one I had European mounted, and then the one for my dad um, that I shot during gun deer season, Wisconsin. I'm having a, a backpack mount made out of it oh that'd be cool yeah that's the one he told me to 
instead of coming in visiting him in the hospital in Arizona, he says, get out there and shoot a deer for me. So I did. All right. I think I'm getting to the end of the questions here. If I didn't get to your question, everybody, I apologize. We've been on here for about an hour and a half. So, Gary, thanks for coming on, man. I got one more question for you. How many how many sheds you found so far this year? Hey, two. Whatever. Those aren't you didn't find those this year. Oh, I, that's right. I found them last year opening oh. week, Indiana. Sorry, my bad. <laughs> Hey, it's I'm, not fair because you you got your whole family looking for him. It's just no, whatever. <laughs> I saw your post. <laughs> Maddie's uh, Maddie's found one shed. That's her first shed ever. Yeah, I wish she'd. I I think she'd enjoy looking for him if uh, she has a hard time not looking at her feet when she's walking through the woods, though. So it's hard for her to to. At least she likes the hiking. Oh yeah, yeah. She tags along. Absolutely. Um, yeah, I think. Were we? She may have found that whenever Huck was using the bathroom. I can't remember. Anyway, we were standing right next to it, and she was just a little little one. She found it. Pretty. She's pretty excited. She said she's going to put it in the living room somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> All right, everybody. Uh, thanks for getting on tonight, and uh, we'll see you see you later. Thanks, Gary. See you, everybody. Yeah. Thanks. <laughs>